Hello again, and welcome to Mastering Dungeons. I am your host, Sean Merwin, and I am here with the one and the only Teos Abadia. Teos, welcome. Hello, Sean. How are you doing, my friend? I am getting well caffeinated. Yes, me too. It is caffeinating time. I am three hours ahead of you, and still I feel like I am lagging behind uh, for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> maybe we're once for once we're on equal even ground there we go there we go so let's hop right into the exciting DD news for the week first up pax online has released their dates which will be july 15th through 18th this will replace the in-person pax east 2021 which will not be happening they have not released any of the details on games or events and they did say that PAX West and PAX Unplugged, which are September 3rd through 6th and December 10th through 12th, respectively, will be going on in person if at all possible. So sounds like they're planning for that. Yeah, I think that's everybody has to, you know, put their foot down for a possible space and hopefully enough people get shots in arms and we're uh, we actually do get to do that. And since we are not gaming in person yet, you can play with Watsi and Baldman Games because signups for the next virtual D&D weekend have opened up today, April 6th, two or three days before the show drops. So you can go get your monthly fix of Adventures League play, uh, Official Wizards play. They have Candlekeep Mystery one-shots. They have your typical Adventures League campaigns, including the Moonshade Isles, Eberron, and Icewind Dale. You can go to the Yawning Portal website at yawningportal.dnd.wizards.com to sign up. That's great. They're adding even more DMs, and it sounds like uh, this is one thing that's going really well in this pandemic is online play, and mm -hmm. lots of new people and uh, experienced players as well. You know, hardcore AL people coming together. That's awesome to see. Yep, like and, they're, and they're now uh, having non-AL games, so you could play like a learn-to-play. They have a couple yeah. of sort of off books games uh, if, yeah. if AL is not your thing. Are you going to be running anything? No, I, it's just a matter of time. I would love to. And, and I, you know what I really want to do is I want to sign, sign up for all these awesome DMs like Robert Aducci running Dark Sun right. or, you know, Alan Patrick will run something. I just, you know, all these wonderful AL people are yeah. running things. And I'm like, oh, I, I really should sign up for this and play at the very least. And but I've been busy with a couple of projects and I just, you know, it's it's how to find but I really should try to find the four hour block. And I highly encourage people to not do what I'm doing and actually sign up for this stuff because there's some amazing DMs and games out there. Right. That would just be yeah, great guaranteed great times. And and what's neat is if you follow people on Twitter who are part of this, they will give you the link to their game, right? They'll they'll tell you what table number and so you can find cool DMs and sign up for their specific game, which is easier done this way than at an actual physical convention right at a physical convention unless it's a very specific game you could get yeah you don't you can't choose the dm that you're going to be playing with so that you is true bribe the mustering person exactly exactly so uh yeah the virtual weekend continues to grow baldman games continues to do a great job finding dms putting them together with players and getting everyone gaming so let's hope uh this next one is a success as well we have news from WizKids. We're going to the Alpha Stream minis portion of our news that WizKids announces their largest miniature ever. 
is largest miniature an oxymoron? <laughs> well, I'm the moron for thinking about buying this. Uh, so, so tell us about it. I mean, my favorite part of this was when they announced that it's under four hundred dollars, and you can probably guess <laughs> what that means. It does indeed mean three ninety nine. It is yes. four hundred dollars to get Tiamat, and I mean, she is absurd. She's twenty eight point nine inches wide. 16.8 inches head to tail, 14.6 inches tall. I don't know like what shelf that works with. Yeah. And on the gaming table, I don't know how you even play around that. And I sort of feel like WizKids, and I know this isn't true, but it, I feel as if WizKids is stalking my Twitter and feed. And when I complained that like the previous Tiamats are too small, <laughs> they're like, okay, here you go. And I'm like, I didn't mean $400 <laughs> huge. Like, it's abs it's so funny. They've gone, you know, it's like, could I have had maybe like a $200 version or just, I don't know. I feel like, like the last one they made, I don't know what it was, but like, let's say 40 bucks, right? Yeah. And it was way too small. It's like Tiamat isn't this, right. she's not smaller than like the colossal red dragon. Right. And, and this is so to the other side. But on the other hand, you see these pictures and you're like, God, that is kind of gorgeous. Yeah. So I don't know, Sean, you know, I don't know what I'll do. It, it probably really depends on whether I land an unexpected writing project mm -hmm. and decide that this is where I'm funneling it. <laughs> so if you want to get Teos to write for one of your projects, just offer him $400 exactly. Well, I, and, I still don't have any of those collectible dragon heads that I think uh, are so amazing. Right. Those are like this price. And and I keep saying, like, I'll write for one of those. Like, you know, I will write. You just say, like, here's the red dragon head and I'm writing an adventure. We'll work for minis. We'll work for minis. Uh, they also announced on the more approachable side, uh, Wild Shape and Polymorph sets are now on their schedule. They, each of these sets uh, comes in two parts. So there's two visible boxes. So you know exactly what you're getting. Um, they, they have things like the giant scorpion, giant shark, giant octopus, tiger, giant toad, all those different forms you might shape shift Wild Shape into uh, or polymorph into the giant ape. Um, and so that's also a great way to get an assortment of animals. So if you're like, you know, I could really use having a dire wolf and giant toad and all that, then that's another great way to get that. And they have seven, eight miniatures in each box. So it's 15 total if you get both boxes. Uh, we're also going to get a set in June of summoning creatures, two sets of summoning creatures. So it'll be probably something similar, but they haven't shown the individual minis yet. But that's pretty cool. That'll be I think, really useful for people. Awesome. Ashes of Athos is having a playthrough. And as one of the administrators of that campaign, Teos, you must be excited about that. Super excited. Yeah, I saw this on Twitter. And, you know, if you smell Dark Sun, this is not the way to start this. If you hear <laughs> about Dark Sun, uh, you would not be shocked to find the name Robert Aducci attached. In fact, he's one of the players for this campaign that's happening right now, where they are playing through the entire Ashes of Athos campaign, the organized play campaign that ran in 4th edition. It has been updated to 5th edition. And the DM is expertly running a really fun crew through. I, I listened to the first episode. Really cool. And it was fun to hear all the old names like Sartage from the campaign. And, oh, yeah. and they, they really are playing through the adventure. They're making you know some changes, but, but largely it's going to go through that campaign. So in our show notes, you'll find the, the Twitter and the podcast links. But on Twitter, you can search for the One World Pod and you will find the links there. The One World Pod. Very cool. Our friend Greg Marks has written another trap article for Cobalt Press, this one called Hidden Distractions. Greg poses the question, 
if you are going through a dungeon created by some evil twisted genius, why would they leave you clues or puzzles to help you get past these traps? And I mean, my logically that makes sense. Yes. But game wise, well, because it's fun to get around them or think yeah. them through or, but or it's for your employees that you do not take care for greatly. It, it, that's true too. That's true too. I'll have to keep that in mind. Uh, but <laughs> there are uh, no, no no reason to host. Yeah, no reason to worry about that. <laughs> no reason. What you'll kind of getting, doors are you designing? You'll be getting a box in the mail too. But don't worry <laughs> about that. Uh, so he creates three traps where the apparent solutions are meant to keep you in danger or take up time while the trap continues to pummel you. Do you want to talk about some of his examples? Oh, man, the mind of Greg Marks. So this is a room where the moment you walk in, a blast of fire goes off and it continues to go off every single round. And you can see a pressure plate. But if you mess with it, it randomizes the blast of fire like it might happen twice in a round or it might actually skip around. But it generally is going to be bad news that you mess with the pressure plate. And what it actually is, is the, it happened the moment you walk through the doorway and you have to turn around and see that the doorway has these runes on it. And that's how you disable it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's really a distraction, this pressure plate and making it so easily findable. Yeah. Or as a room that's filling with water and writing appears that seems to be a riddle. And if you think that answering that helps, you don't know Greg Marks very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, or an arrow trapped hallway with obvious beams of light. So kind of like, you know, Indiana Jones style. Yeah. And the beams are just a distraction, right? The trap right. has to be solved elsewhere. So they're, they're, it's really fun. And you can find the full description of these really good stuff. Yeah, But that's not all Cobalt Press is doing. That's true. Uh, our friend Celeste Conowich also has an article on Cobalt Press called Play With Class, Craft a Cool Cleric, where she gives an overview of how to choose the type of cleric you want and then make the best choices for your cleric as you level up. Yeah, it's a high-level overview, but but very useful one around the mentality to go through to make sure you make the right choices and uh, given so many options for, for classes these days. And along those same lines, our friend DM David has an article on his blog about building a cleric who is super fun in a fight, looking at non-support clerics. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So, you know, like, let's not be about the heels and about the buffs, you know, then what would we do? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I just had that talk with my class today, my uh, writing for role playing game class about you know, how a cleric is a very versatile class in the sense that if, depending on the domain that you choose, you could be more like a fighter or more like a wizard or more like a rogue than you actually are a cleric. Yeah. And he looks at uh, this is a much more specific article on how to build a cleric. So he recommends specific domains and spells. And he does cover the latest Tasha's features that we reviewed recently. Mm-hmm. And he has his usual, like, such a, it, it's such a great sort of nuanced sarcasm. And then, and then he'll hit you over the top, right? Like, should, he says, uh, you should choose Toll the Dead for maximum damage, unless you role play your light or life domain cleric as someone loyal to their ideals. <laughs> if you're not a grave domain cleric, you can still prepare Toll the Dead but you should feel bad about it. Exactly. It's, it's a great way of speaking to how like, you know, everybody wants told the dead because it's such amazing amounts of damage. Right. But it, it's, it's, you know, really is that what your cleric, your life cleric would do? Told right. the dead. If you have a light or life cleric and they're casting that spell, you should house rule that on a miss, 
they take the damage. <laughs> <laughs> your, your God punishes you. That would have he been does. the AD&D version. Yeah. But yeah, that's, these are two fun clerics. I'd say cleric articles start with Celeste and then go in for some details on the DM David side. Great stuff. The one-two punch. Yep. And that would be our news for the week. That leads us to our first main topic, which is the player side of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, where we are looking at the character options. We have made it all the way to the letter S, Deos, all the way to the letter S, so we can now look at the Sorcerer. I can't wait for Q. <laughs> Q is my favorite class. The for, for Star Trek. Star? Yeah, for, for the Star Trek. So for Sorcerer optional features... We get the optional sorcerer spells, which includes five of the new cantrips from Xanathar's and a few new spells that have been added to the sorcerer's list. And those new spells were all originally in the Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide, like Booming Blade, Green Flame Blade, Lightning Lore, and so on. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, what's interesting here is that Sword Coast Adventurer's Guide is essentially no longer needed as a sort of book you must you know, carry around with you. Uh, it, it can now be a little bit more of a lore with with a few exceptions, right? Like the, the Dwarven subclass and things like that. But in general, most of the content you needed from that book or that was used by most players from that book is now reprinted in yep. another form. Yep. We have two new metamagic options presented here. The first is called Seeking Spell. If you make an attack roll for a spell and you miss, you spend two sorcery points to reroll that d20. And you must take the new roll. Uh, and you can use that spell, uh, you can use that metamagic option seeking spell, even if you've already used a different metamagic option during the casting of the spell. So if you're twinning some some spell, you can also metamagic it if you need to re-roll your attack roll, which and makes sense. A, yeah. 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 Uh, solid, right? That's fun. Yep. When you, when you absolutely got a hit, you want mm -hmm. another shot at it, yep. go for it. The second metamagic option is Transmuted Spell. When you cast a spell that deals a type of damage from the list that follows, you can spend one sorcery point to change that type to another of the listed types. And those types are Acid, Cold, Fire, Lightning, Poison, and Thunder. And I, I don't play sorcerers a lot. I don't use metamagic. I could have sworn that this was already a thing. But <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's from a previous edition. That that I'm thinking of this. There's a feat that feet. lets you right. do something like this. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting to me that fourth edition had a ton of these situations where if you dealt cold damage and you had you know you had like a rod that would let you do cold damage and then you had a feat that did more damage for cold damage. And so it's one of these things that you'd start stacking all this extra sources of damage through elements, and it was very dangerous in that edition to mm -hmm. do anything like this. And it's interesting that 5e has so far avoided any problems around this. Like right. here, it's just really about overcoming someone's resistance, right? you know, or being thematic. But I'm always curious whether we will somehow slip in there. Someone will drop some little, and if it's fire, you get to roll an extra blah. Right. And suddenly all these things will become cheesy, right? To, to use right. these as build options to trigger that extra source of damage so far. We're all good. <laughs> so far, we have, we have escaped that. So I'm good with, with this. Just in terms of general design, which I've been thinking a lot about lately, I feel like we are getting too many options at too low levels. And that makes it a harder game to then ramp up. 
because you're starting ramped up, yeah. right? If, if at third level you have all these options to, oh, what do I want acid, cold, fire, lightning, poison, or thunder? That doesn't, that gives you, you have to do something even cooler at higher levels and even yeah. something cooler. At, I would like to see the next edition of D&D. I think we're going to talk about this at least a couple of times. We've already, yeah. maybe already mentioned it. Just have it be a more basic game up till seventh level. Yeah, I have had a, a number of conversations with designers recently along this line where we're talking about the approaches and and it really is like, it's funny, I, I listen to Dragon Talk, the, the official D&D podcast a fair bit, and they tend to have these sort of voices that come from the outside, newer players, mm-hmm. or they are a streamer or, you know, some other thing like that. And one of the things they'll often say is, well, I had tried X edition, but 5e was so much easier. And if you look at the player's handbook, that's generally true. There are a few classes and subclasses where that's not the case. But in general, classes are sort of archetypal, more like sword and sorcery fiction. They're not science fiction. They're not high super fantasy. They're, they're, they're down to earth. You know, mm-hmm. you are strong. You are dexterous. You have mastered the basics of magic, right? It's down to those really mm-hmm. clear concepts. And in general, they're fairly straightforward. All right, at second level, you can, you know, do these various options as a rogue, but it's this little package. It's discreet. You know, it's not super involved and complicated in most cases, right? Mm -hmm. And now it's getting a little, I don't know, you know, it's hard. And and when I'm running, I just ran recently a game for kids and they were, they would forget all the features they had and they were only first level. And and I kept having to remind them of the things they could do because they just they were like, I'm just going to attack with my axe. And I think especially when you're looking at that character sheet, especially if you're doing it online, you just they go to that attack section, even when their class is supposed to do all these other things, which means they're losing out on the flavor, the theme and the creativity of it. Right. Because everything else is sort of too complicated. Right. And and easy to forget. And we're also I'm going to shut up, but (laughs) we're also accelerating leveling and and it seems like there's this real drive from both players and you know both the audience and the designers to play faster through more levels like maybe that's the solution to getting to high levels just do it faster and you'll get there but what that means is you know even less about your character right and yeah and so yeah I don't, I'm, it's very interesting to see design wise all right. of this yeah and and i i have heard that argument too of well just make first and second level the the basic level where you have two options, you know, they make these choice of these two things. And I, I like that, except we are leveling faster through necessity almost. Yeah. Because we, you know, we want to get to the cool things, but we don't know the cool things that we already have. Uh, and teaching the game is, is so much harder when there are so many options to choose from originally. And then there are options within those options and then there are options at the game table that you have yeah. to come up with. It, it becomes very difficult to teach the game and teach the game in a way that the players will understand sort of what's behind it, which is what I'm up against right now. Yeah. And you know, when, when um, it's interesting to look at uh, designers that are part of an edition who then go off and do their own thing. Mm-hmm. It's often very telling what they create because they create the thing. You, it, you have to design with a group and a team and you have to do what they say or, or what you all agree on is best for the game. But but you often you wish it had gone this way. Right. 
Right. And so when you look at Rob Schwab and Shadow of the Demon Lord, right, you level very quickly in that system. And each level gives you a little thing. Mm -hmm. But that little thing is a really high degree of flavor compared to the amount of mechanics. It, it, the mechanical thing you're gaining is straightforward generally, extremely so, but comes with a lot of flavor. And that is a system where literally you can go through a convention, every adventure leveling, and you are not lost in what your character does. Right. You know, so, so it is really possible. And, and, and I would say, I bet the team knew this was a possibility or it was probably on the table when they were drawing up 5e. Right. And it's interesting that we're moving further from that. And I don't know yeah. that we should be. Right? So right. We'll, we'll have to see how it goes. Yeah. But that, I think this is when you, you know, five years ago, if you asked me, or two years ago, if you asked me, When's 6E coming? I would have said, in fact, did say to a lot of people, no time soon. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a clean engine that's running well. Right. Now, I, don't, I can't say that same answer, right? right? 6E is somewhere out there on the horizon. Yeah, that's It's starting true. to make its appearance because we're getting a little bogged down, a little more yep. in the details to where someone's going to pick, sit down at a, a new player's going to sit down at a table with players and go, yeah, this is a bit much. Mm -hmm. It's true. It's true. Well, let's, that is a fine tangent. Uh, I'm glad we had that. So we will go back to the new options from the new optional sorcerer features. We have at fourth level sorceress versatility. Uh, whenever you reach a level where you get an ability score improvement feature, you can do one of the following. Replace one of the options you chose for your metamagic feature or replace one cantrip you learned with a cantrip from the sorcerer spell list. So this is just Another one of those flexibility uh, rules, which I am not opposed to at all. Yep. Yeah, this is your typical swap things out. It's fine. Yep. And at fifth level, you get the ability called Magical Guidance. When you make an ability check that fails, you can spend one sorcery point to re-roll the d20. And you must use the new roll, potentially turning a failure into a success. Ed, I'm cool with this too. Yeah, that's cool. Now, let's get into the new subclasses. Two new Sorcerer Origins. The first is Aberrant Mind. The concept is that you're a psionic sorcerer, thanks to the touch of an alien influence. Um, so here is our psionic subclass for sorcerer. That first level, you get Aberrant Origins, where you roll on a table to see how you became a psionic sorcerer. Uh, <laughs> and it's a, it's a D6. So, you know, there are a limited number of choices. You can obviously make your own. But, you know, some of them are, are interesting, funny. I mean, have you. This, what this establishes canonically is that one out of six sorcerer psionicists had a flump for a friend. That's right. Which, which proves how wonderful flumps are. It, absolutely. So, yeah. But, you know, what, what did strike me here is that so there's this sort of like you had an imaginary friend. Uh, and I, I like that. I can't remember the name of it now, but there's that psionic platypus. Right. Oh, yeah. The, that, the thought eater. Yes. Well done. Yeah. Uh, so they say, like, you had a friend that looked like a flump or a strange platypus-like creature. Right. It turns out they weren't imaginary after all, right? And, <laughs> and somehow they gifted you with these powers, which I think is, is a, a lovely, hilarious origin story. But a lot of these others are, like, epic. It's like you were implanted with a mind flare tadpole, but the ceramorphosis never completed. It's like, what level were you when this happened? Like, whoa, okay, you live in an interesting village, and right. you once suffered the do dominating powers of an aboleth. It's like, <laughs> this is my yeah. origin story? <laughs> right. A psychic wind from the astral plane carried sonic energy. So it's a little over the top, but okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, As I, always, adjust. Right? right. And I would say, you know, make your own. 
and uh, we will we will go with that. So also at first level, you get psionic spells. You gain free sorcerer spells like Arms of Hadar, Dissonant Whispers, and so on. Uh, whenever you gain a sorcerer level, you can replace one of the spells you gained from this feature with another spell of the same level if that spell is a divination or an enchantment spell from the sorcerer, warlock, or wizard spell list. So that's kind of interesting. I don't remember. I did look at the subclasses, and I think there's another older subclass that sort of operates this way. But what it means is you have the small list that mm -hmm. you get as a free thing. And as you level up, you can swap that for an, a broader choice of spells, enchantment right. or divination, but it can be you know, even on the warlock or wizard list. I don't kind of remember that design being there a lot. And it's, it's kind of really interesting. I hadn't noticed it. Yeah, I did the same thing. I almost just skipped over it thinking, oh, it's the typical pick a spell and then you can replace And I'm like, wait, this is you can replace it with different spells, not even from your spell list. So what, obviously yeah. what they're trying to do is say divinations and enchantments are psionic. Yes. Uh, just just in case <laughs> oh, you were wondering. Yeah, don't get me started, but okay. I mean, right. I, I guess, and it really what it is design-wise is what's the most psionic, and then sure, yeah. okay. Yep. Yeah, the power of the mind, and you know, sure. okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. And uh, did you want to mention about the intrusion on other classes? Well, it's, just, you know, it's funny, when they did the polls for an Unearthed, Unearthed Arcana article that had all of these psionic features way back when, these psionic subclasses, there was a strong pushback against the wizard subclass because it was really painted as being a psionicist and people did not like the psionics equals magic sort mm -hmm. of approach, which I think a lot of the designers feel you can't retreat from because of design elements. I'd argue otherwise, but it's fine. Mm -hmm. But so they took out this wizard, but then it's interesting to see the sorcerer that isn't just a psionicist. It's sort of like I'm a psionicist, but because I was exposed to aberrant powers right right and so then a question to me is well does this feel like a psionicist and i'd say no it really does feel like a psionicist exposed to aberrant powers and i don't know that it would be a great psionicist but i but you know and we're still at first level and so right. i'm kind of like does so a question in my mind as i went through the subclasses would this be a good psionicist does it even feel like a good actual psionicist or does it feel more like a warlocky type of right you know, tainted right. powers a, type a, a far realm intruded right. right and and so it really begs the question you know what is psionics <laughs> in vivi or just in general because if we look through the various subclasses that have tended towards psionics it's all a little bit different yeah right one thing is just straight power of your mind one thing is it's from the it's aberrant it's from the far realms it one is it's it's all about you know not trickery but mind control yeah. you know so it's it's strange i would have loved to see and maybe this will happen but the story told not so much through tasha's type of expansion but through a campaign right so if you did mm -hmm. a sort of far realm mix of planescape far realm uh spell jammer and you threw in these subclasses, a whole bunch of these subclasses, through that idea of sort of aberrant taint. I think that would be an awesome psionic experience. Mm -hmm. And it would fit a, a sort of ethos that you're portraying through, through that tale, right? And if instead you did something that's Dark Sun, like Dark Sun has a really good canon around what psionics means and what it is. 
Right. And you could tell that story through that world. And it would feel like a really cool psionics that's cohesive and is a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where I'd go. Like the game has had so many expressions. And when you just do it through sort of supplements, well, then you're going to get a bunch of those expressions. Sure. I would love to see them be a, a part of a story. Yep. Because it, it answers those questions. It, it gives yeah. that that background. Absolutely. And the final first level ability is telepathic speech. As a bonus action, you choose one creature you can see within 30 feet of you. You and the chosen creature can speak telepathically with each other while the two of you are within a number of miles equal to your charisma modifier. To understand each other, you must speak mentally in a language that the other knows. This lasts for a number of minutes equal to your sorcerer level. Uh, it ends early if you are incapacitated or die or choose to form a connection with a different creature. Yeah, so I think it's cool. You know, I've, I've got no... It, there's some interesting sort of restraints on it, but it's because this is first level, it's probably good. You have to be near each other. Then it can last a distance, but it only lasts a few minutes. So it's, it's fine. It's great. Mm -hmm. So at sixth level, you get psionic sorcery. Uh, when you cast any spell of first level or higher from your psionic spells feature, you can cast it by expending a, uh, spending a spell slot as normal or by spending sorcery points equal to the spell's level. Uh, if you cast it using those sorcery points, you need no verbal or somatic components, and it requires no material components unless they are consumed by the spell. So this is where we're getting interesting. Yeah. Not only is it that you are using sorcery points instead of your spell slots, but it has to be from that psionic spells feature. It can't be other spells. Yeah. So you have a limited number of spells. Yeah, and it, so it means when you're when you're leveling up and you swap out, you know, arms of Hedar or whatever for something else and, you know, enchantment or divination from one of these things, you also want to think about your sixth level feature because now you can do this with it. It's interesting. Yeah. So if you want to avoid those material components, you want to get that spell that, oh, I can just use my uh, sorcery points instead of my spell slots. Yeah, or to, to do it silently, right? Verbal somatic. And, I, and what I'm curious is to what extent this really will be used by players to feel like it's coming out of your mind. Because right? mm -hmm. that's the concept, right? The idea is this spell is mind-powered. It's a mind-powered effect. Does it feel that way in play? You know, it'd be interesting to see. Yeah. At sixth level, you also get psychic defenses where you gain resistance to psychic damage and you have advantage on saving throws against being charmed or frightened. So here we're doing psionics as... Well, obviously psychic, but as you know, in terms of emotional control, mm -hmm. which does go, you know, it does bear out through the additions that that's something that psionics was. And, and when you think about is this the psionicist, right? So, like, we would have thought of a more typical classic psionic design would be to give you some sort of power called Tower of Iron Will or, right. you know, Intellect Fortress, any, any of those yep. old AD&D names. Yeah. And have some feature that you use in certain ways. And this is a very streamlined, simple thing, right? Resistance, advantage on saves. Yep. And it, you know, and you're not even using one of those terms. <laughs> True. So, yeah. And then at 14th level, you get revelation in flesh. So as a bonus action, you can spend one or more sorcery points to magically transform your body for 10 minutes. For each sorcery point you spend, you gain one of the following benefits of your choice, the effects of which last until this transformation ends. So for each sorcery point you spend, you can choose one of the following. You can see invisible creatures within 60 feet of you, provided they aren't behind total cover. And then it gives like a 
weird physical thing that happens to your body as when this happens. Each of these has one of those. Uh, you can gain a fly speed equal to your walking speed and you can hover. You gain a swim speed equal to twice your walking speed and you can breathe underwater. Or you can uh, you have your body along with equipment you're wearing become slimy and pliable, allowing you to move through narrow spaces as small as an inch without squeezing and uh, spend five feet of movement to escape from non-magical restraints or being grappled. So if you want to spend five sorcery points, you get all of the above. I don't want yeah. to see that creature, but that's what you become. Boy, it is. Uh, imagine that, right? It's super interesting. It, it, this is definitely not a cyanocyst. It is a tainted aberrant right. thing, right? And, and so warlocky. To me, this is really like yep. a warlock. It's just that it's using the sorcerer mechanics but, and doesn't have a particular patron. But, you know, it's like it's very warlocky in its concept. But, uh, yep. but at, at the same time, these are neat. It, I like that you get these options and you're, you're doing that. It's uh, pretty neat. It's 14th mm -hmm. level. Cool. Yep. And finally, at 18th level, you get Warping Implosion. It's my yeah, it's my ska band name. Uh, as an action, you can teleport to an unoccupied space you can see within 120 feet of you. Immediately after you disappear, each creature within 30 feet of the space that you left must make a strength saving throw. On a failed save, a creature takes 3d10 force damage and is pulled straight toward that space you left, ending in an unoccupied space as close to that former space as possible. If the save was successful, the creature takes half damage but isn't pulled. You can use this feature once per long rest unless you spend five sorcery points to use it again. So, you know, battlefield control, you want to pull everybody into fireball formation. Mm -hmm. here, here you go, run into the middle of the room and then pop away and everyone gets sucked into that one particular point. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. This is super fourth edition type of feel, right? It's that kind of like right out of like the 4E warlock goodness that we would do these right. kinds of tricks. And you just imagine somebody would have, you know, misty step into the center, pull everybody to you and then do something else with an action point. It's just just that shy from being a total yeah. 4E yep. combat round. But it's it's neat. It's certainly fun. Super cinematic. This feels like something out of a Marvel movie, right? It's right. Yep. Doctor Strange all the way, right? Right. Uh, for right. sure. So that is the aberrant mind. Let yeah, us move. I, oh, yeah. What did you yeah, think overall? I just want to say that, that, you know, when I look back on this as, as a scion, I still want a scion. Mm -hmm. Just looking at this class and, and, and the other subclasses, I think they're fun. They're cool. They're neat options. But to me, I would, this does not scratch my itch for what they were trying to do when they were creating the mystics class that never came out, a psionic class or 5e. I mm -hmm. still want that. Like, I still want, and I would prefer to have a Sonic class with Sonic subclasses under it, ideally themed to an adventure or something like that. I, this, to me, does not quite fit, but it's a neat idea of this aberrant painted thing. Right. Uh, on the next one is Clockwork Soul. The concept is Modron, yo. Uh, I, used to, I listened to Clockwork Soul when, uh, did when you? I was in college. When, 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 when they were in their rap phase. Uh, <laughs> so, what this uh, subclass is, is you are affected by the law of the universe. You are affected by Mechanus, the place where everything works like a clock. So at first level, you get clockwork magic. Whenever you gain a sorcerer level, you can replace one spell you gained from this feature with another spell of the same level. 
the new spell must be an abjuration or a transmutation spell from sorcerer, warlock, or wizard. So we see this again, except now instead of the divination and enchantment, it is aberration and transmutation. Yeah, it's interesting to see here the spells aid again and lesser and greater restoration. Mm-hmm. So you get a little bit of an intrusion into other classes, which these classes have always sort of been a little bit of that, but but it's always like, ah, aid, does that fit this clockwork idea? What is that really doing? And, and aid is just tough because it adding hit point ceilings and with so many sources of temporary hit points now, you can really get some huge sky high hit point values. Yeah. So I worry a little bit about that, but, um, but yeah, it's fine. Yep. And interestingly, now the, the next thing at first level is manifestations of order. So this tells you the way that you are connected to order and law and mechanics before they, they put that first here, they put it after the initial thing, which, you know, no big deal. It's just, just odd. And so there are various ways in which you have become connected to this idea, this concept of law and order, of the plane of mechanists. You know, you may see spectral cogwheels hovering behind you or floating equations playing across <laughs> yeah. your body, which yeah, is pretty far out. It is different. Uh, not anything I've really seen before in, in this way. You know, you may be the, the order domain for clerics in the past. Or, Something like this, but this is this is pretty new, I think. Yeah, this sort of highly visual aspect is something that that's really, I think, starting to appear for five e, and and you know maybe that's if you think of things like online play, where people often describe their characters in very interesting ways, mm-hmm. and then everybody follows along with that and thinks, wow, yeah, like how can I have a character like that critical role character or this you know other live stream character that I really dig and has these sort of fantastic things about them that make them unique. And so maybe the, that's an attempt to kind of create that kind of appeal. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, well, I was talking more about the the whole, this whole idea of, of the sorcerer as a law. Ah, uh, but yeah. y- what, what you're saying is absolutely true, but I've never seen this brought this sort of magic brought in, you know, you see wild magic yeah. all the time. You see elemental chaos, magic all right? the time, right? You, you don't see this law aspect too much in in uh, character design well and i it, it's almost like the in both of these the idea is less about your origin mm-hmm. than it is sort of like your power source maybe or something or, or you know yeah it's like it's like a slightly different thing it's not i have the blood of dragons in my veins it's like i was exposed to this and i use this as like a raw source of things right like i have yeah. this mechanist essence in me yeah and now i you know, organize and repair and correct. Right. Which is a very, is a very warlock feel, right? Yeah. It's, it's not that you made the deal with something, but that something is affecting you. And it's not necessarily an origin. It's, it's something that's happened along the way. Yeah. It, it's a, and it's an interesting narrative to tell at first level, which is one of the things that's sort of tough about, you know, uh, some of the classes that bring in features early. Mm-hmm. Is that it's it's strange to give you anything high powered at level one, and and right. the sorceress does that because of the idea that it's in your bloodline right. or origin, and so it has to struggle with that. I think right this whole like somehow I'm a level one character that has all this stuff going on with powers of mechanist, right? And teaching again, teaching a new player, you're asking them to make a lot of decisions right away. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would, I understand why you need to say it if it's something that's been around you since you were young you don't want to 
dismiss that at first level. Like, you know, with, with a druid, you can't wild shape till your second level. So, you know, to, but if you try that with a sorcerer and put off that question until second or third level, it's leaving a lot of backstory out when you create your character that you would already know. And design-wise, that's happening because you're not getting your next taste until sixth. Right. Right. And when you look at like the, the aberrant mind we just talked about, like at six is where you get to sort of do this, you know, without spell components and verbal and somatic component thing. That's your six level feature. So all your story had to be told with the level one things. Right. Yeah. That's that's what's kind of rough about that. I'm, I'm sure it must be really hard for the designers yeah. because you can't they might not play to six level. So you can't not have yeah. the essence of what your character is. So how do you introduce it at one? give you enough to last you those five first five levels it's it's a tough challenge yeah yeah so at first level you also get restore balance when a creature you can see within 60 feet of you is about to roll a d20 with either advantage or disadvantage you can use your reaction to prevent that advantage or disadvantage from affecting the die roll you can do this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest so I am more and more disliking powers that affect monster die rolls. I'm fine with affecting character die rolls with your abilities, but when you get to higher levels and you start taking away advantage rolls for monsters that have features that specifically give them advantage on saving throws to keep Mm -hmm. them in the fight. And you take, I didn't think of that. You right. can cancel legendary resistance. You can ca- or exactly. not legendary resistance, but, but advantage on magic, magical right. resistance. Yeah. Right. And so that, yeah. you know, that's a that's that ability is there for the good of the game. Right. And to just to be at first level, just to be able to cancel that out is yeah. is something that I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's a good point. Yeah. Yep. I am glad that it's uh a number of times equal your proficiency bonus. The other thing that I was thinking about, which is something that was also mentioned on the tribality.com review, which I always like to look at, was that your raging barbarian who likes to attack recklessly, you could, you know, cancel an attack with advantage against them. And you could do that all the time if it was just like spend your reaction to do it, right? It would be right. really powerful. And so the fact that it's bound by your proficiency bonus helps. Right. And this, again, brings up that question of, how is D&D supposed to be played in terms of resource management? Because if you are taking a long rest after every combat, because the design of the adventure, the design of the campaign allows you to, that is that becomes a super powerful thing. Yeah. Whereas if it's just one combat and a long series of combats where you have to save that resource and use it at the best possible time, it becomes less of a powerful thing, less ability, the less lesser yeah. ability to break things we could do a whole show on that i think because there's a lot of art to that i mean i tend to run campaigns i don't know about you but i tend to run campaigns where there's a combat each day not uh, until they get into some dungeon situation but but the default is sort of fully rested one thing happens yeah. i would say and, and i try to do the opposite unless the the story dictates that you can't like writing a one-hour adventure you just it's going to be that one combat and then they're going to get a long rest because that's what the form dictates. But I love to run the longer, smaller, 
quicker combats that go on over time and let them wear down so it actually you can challenge them a little bit at the end yeah. of the day sure but you know it's cool yeah and, and that's and that's i think the art of it and, and you're right these features will wildly escalate what players can do when they're able to refresh them all the time for each yeah. combat if they can do that they'll be so much stronger for it yeah and in the next edition of dnd <laughs> as we've been saying <laughs> you know that that needs to be worked out that needs to yeah. be spelled out and taken into account the different types of adventures and the different types of campaigns that may be run. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, you know, smarter folks than us will we'll get, we'll get <laughs> yeah. on that. Yeah, uh, that it's easy. It's one thing to point out the issue. Solving it is a whole nother. Yeah. Yes, for sure. At sixth level, you get bastion of law as an action. You can expend one to five sorcery points to create a magical ward around yourself or another creature that you can see within 30 feet of you. The ward lasts until you finish a long rest. Or until you use the feature again, what does the word do? I'm glad you asked. The word is represented by a number of D8s equal to the number of sorcery points that you spent to create it. So if you spend one sorcery point, you get one D8. When the warded creature takes damage, it can expend a number of those dice, roll them, and reduce the damage taken by the total rolled by those dice. Whew. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm not a fan on pretty much any level. Of, of this <laughs> uh i'm not a fan because this has nothing to do with law or order or mechanical you know this is just a uh, protection yeah so not a fan there it's a clunky mechanic because now you have to choose ahead of time how many dice you want to ward with if it's someone else you have to remind them that they have those dice the number of dice the points that it could take away from damage is very swingy it could be you know, if you have five dice it could be anywhere from five to 40. 40 so it could be totally wiping out a lot of damage or it could be none uh it, since you have to roll the dice it doesn't say if you can roll one d8 and then say oh i only rolled a one i want to roll another d8 or if you have to choose the number of dice ahead of time so if you have five d8 you have to keep track of those over an extended period of time uh there's just a lot going yeah. on with that I would just rather make it a reaction and let the, you know, oh, my friend got hit. It did 12 points of damage. I'm going to use two sorcery points, roll 2d8, boom, you're done. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this is, yeah, I agree with everything you said. Yep. It's it's weird because they want to do this sort of like, I think the idea is this sort of reweaving things as mm -hmm. a sort of restoring order or something, but but right. this ward doesn't even do that necessarily and and if it does it's through magics that aren't even explainable like like there's no right like i don't know what the visual is for this or, or yeah yeah it the, the subclass i think suffers from this concept of sort of restorative order but through inexplicable magics that somehow you're able to wield yeah yeah it's it's a little mm -hmm. off uh anyway uh, at 14th level, you get Trance of Order. As a bonus action, you can enter this state for one minute for the duration. Attack rolls against you cannot benefit from advantage. And whenever you make an attack roll ability check or saving throw, you can treat a 9 or lower as a 20 on a d10. Uh, once as you use... Uh, as a 10, sorry. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, 10 on a d20. Thank you. Uh, once you use this bonus action, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest unless you spend five sorcery points to use it again. Thoughts? Um, 
I generally I'm not a huge fan of things that I do ahead of time that may or may not pay off. Mm -hmm. I, I want a little more solidity around what I'm choosing. And so this is just sort of like, you know, I, I when do I know that I want to enter this state mm -hmm. and what's it really doing for me? I, I, it's good for saving throws. It's good for checks. It has a lot of, but I have to know that I need it. And like, if I'm climbing a wall, I've probably already made a check. You know, do I want to use it again? It, it's just hard mm -hmm. to know how useful this will be and when I should really pop up this situation. Yeah, I can, I can get behind the, I'm in a room and everything has pack tactics. So they're always having advantage. I'm going to go mm -hmm. into this trance, but then the, you having the d20 rolls become tens is sort of a separate thing thematically yeah. I, gu I guess it's i'm in this trance so everything is just sort of level and yeah ordered and, and yeah can't have low swings or something like that it's it's fine to me it's a bit more like a gambling type subclass that was about probability and chance or something like that but yeah it, it's it's flexible enough that I think you'll probably be able to use it in a number of situations. But I generally like to to have a little more solidity. If I'm going to enter a state or something like that I want to know that I'm getting a payoff from it, and it's not entirely clear. You know, will a ten really help me do the things I want? Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, it's interesting because it does not say that the trance ends if you go unconscious. So if you enter this state right before you go unconscious, you're making death saving throws and all of those death saving throws will be a 10 yeah, or better or better or better. So at least you will become stable. Yeah. Because it doesn't sure. say that it ends. Yeah. So I guess, I don't know if that's <laughs> on purpose, but anyway, if you know you're about to go unconscious, just can't uh, do this. And finally at 18th level, you get clockwork cavalcade. A favorite radio show of mine from the 1940s. This is old band names. This, uh, yeah, this episode. Yeah. So, uh, as an action, you summon the spirits within a 30-foot cube originating from you. The spirits look like modrons or other constructs of your choice. The spirits are intangible and invulnerable, and create the following effects within the cube before they vanish. The spirits restore up to 100 hit points, divided as you choose among any number of creatures within the cube. Any uh, damaged objects within the cube are entirely repaired instantly. Interesting. Mm. Every spell of sixth level or lower ends on creatures and objects of your choice in the cube. So you are debuffing or getting rid of certain spells that might be affecting your character, your friends, or yourself. 100 hit points healed. If you have any objects that were damaged, they are repaired. Uh, once you use this, you can't use it again until you finish a long rest. Or if you spend seven sorcery points to use it again. Whew. All right, Teos, take us through this. I first, as an adventure writer, can't get over the middle one. Any damaged objects repaired instantly. Because there are all kinds of adventures that have things that are broken, sundered, remains, you know, a, a tome that turns to dust that has all the secrets of whatever. Like, there are any number of things like that. And that is an important and powerful part of such adventures. And if you just restore those, your DM is just going to lose their mind about what they do with that situation. Right. And it's not that it makes play better. Like, I, I'm all for breaking the rules when it creates a fun engagement thing. This is literally going to be like, ah, uh, I guess you don't have to go on the quest. You repaired it. Or, and right. I know it's 18th level, so it's not happening. But still, like, 
you know, this could have been easy to say any objects that were damaged within the last hour. And you'd take 90% of the problems away and still retain right. most of the benefits that you're looking for. And I don't even know what that's trying to do for me, right? Like how often has something been broken that I need to repair right now without mending? Like, like yeah, this is just a problem. You, you put in a problem in a feature. <laughs> that, yeah. I don't mean, we didn't even need it as a solution. Yeah, I, I get the thematic aspect of it, but like, wow, think about the ramifications. The third effect is unusual in that you're ending every spell of six level or lower on a creature. So it's a great way to end like a bad effect on someone, but any good effects you're also ending. Yeah. You know, or if, if you ha maybe you have a spell debuffing somebody, like you have like a Bane up, but you want to end the thing they put on, them, you know, the enemy put on themselves. So you got to get rid of the Bane too. So, you know, it's okay. It's not bad. Um, I like the theme of it. I just function functional wise. It's yeah. a little, the hundred hit points is, is fine. Again, they, there's clearly this vision here of this restoring order, rebuilding mm -hmm. somehow. There's nanites or something going on. Yeah. Concept wise. I don't know what the subclass is doing. It's it, I don't spirits of Modrons. Yeah. Do Modrons have spirits? Right. Like construct spirits. Yeah. And why am I summoning them? I don't understand that the the theme of this is very abstract and and does not hit me well. And that now that's different than saying that could I play a character with this and make it all work? Sure. And and maybe that's what it is. This is like a a, a more of a soup of ideas, and you can create a super cool order mm -hmm. sorcerer out of it. But I keep having to remind myself this is a sorcerer as well. Right. I mean, just the fact, just the idea of an order sorcerer blows my mind yeah because like i said that that's the opposite of everything that sorcerers usually are right yeah. wild magic They're chaos uh yeah. storm right all this mm -hmm. all this yeah. uh swirling power around them i i like i want to like this idea i just haven't seen haven't seen it in the world except unless you're talking about you know dr strange again yeah. For some reason I keep coming back to that that idea of putting things back in order and and harnessing the the chaos into order. And I I want to like that. I just But I, but I feel like that story could have been told in some other way the, the, because it's this sort of mechanist clockwork thing. Yeah. I'm I'm not buying that link. Like I'm I'm not that's not usually a link that exists. Like mechanist does not intrude in our world in tangible ways other than when modrons march into it. Right. It, it's not a seeping kind of a realm, you know, right. exactly. It is a confined place one would have to visit to experience. And so spirits of Modrons when you're 18th level or, yeah, I just it, I, don't, I don't feel the I don't feel the storyline going here, but hopefully someone does. Yeah, well, I'm <laughs> sure the listener yeah. is like, no, this is totally awesome for me. And I'm right. totally going to do this. And, and Modrons and that whole idea of mechanists are such a big part of the D and D mythos, and yeah. you know they're well loved, right? The the march of the Modrons uh, <laughs> well, is Tony Dieterlezi. Yeah, are, I mean, I love Modrons, and and Planescape's awesome, and yeah. yeah. So, but hopefully, some people will get some uh, joy out of that. A quick run through the DM side of things takes us yeah. to Chapter Four, which is the Dungeon Master's Tools, where we're going to look at environmental hazards from supernatural regions and pretty interesting. I'm just going to kind of sum up my thoughts on yeah. this. Yeah. I, I like this. It just needs to be for me more controlled. 
because these environmental factors, whether they're natural or supernatural, are a great tool for storytelling. They're a great tool for challenging characters, especially those that cannot be challenged through normal means. And I would, rather than seeing this sort of big, long, randomized list of these weird things that can happen, I want to know how to challenge characters when they go to the far realm, challenging yeah. characters when they go to Avernus, challenging characters when they go to Mechanus, as opposed to let's just throw some really weird random tables in. Yeah. Yeah. So this whole section presents a series of themes Blessed Radiance, Far Realm, Haunted, Infested, Mirror Zone, Psychic Resonance, Unraveling Magic that are supposed to be intrusions into the normal world and that in these zones there is a chance that these things manifest when you and, and maybe will manifest when you do certain things. And the problem is, I don't know how easy it is for a DM to know that those things will happen. So the triggering is weird. And then the effects, what they do to give you sort of rules is to give you these, these you know, tables, usually percentile roles, to see what kind of thing happens. And the things that can happen could be way outside of what the level of the characters should be facing. Mm -hmm. Or it might be inconsequential. I mean, you know, 73 to 79, Death Slot appears. And that's just one of the things that happens. Like, it's all the, you right. know. And so it's just, you know how to use this the way to use this is to use this as inspiration for what you're doing and i wish there'd been more instruction here mm -hmm. uh, i like your idea of this could have been like visiting those zones rather than intrusions i think it's okay as intrusions but you know before you had had these kinds of things where it was like literally like terrain swaths right, right? you could put yeah. down grasping tendrils in a Feywild situation mm -hmm. you could put down a tainted earth patch and right. they had effects and that's almost more useful and I think easier for DMs to use right. consistently. This is the opposite and it's sort of so wide ranging that I, I don't know that DMs will super know how to use it. Right. I mean, uh, my recommendations would be look at these tables when, if you want to use one of these things, right? Like I want radiant stuff to happen in my encounter. Mm -hmm. Look at these tables, pick the things you like that would fit the level of your party and create a table of those things. So maybe it's right. just a D6. Instead of D100, it's D4. One out of these four things can happen and make it trigger whenever you think it should, right? Either because it's time for it, because it hasn't happened in a while, or because someone did something remotely related that can invoke it and make it cool. The other thing it doesn't look at is how to deal with these situations, which right. a lot of times what's really neat in adventures is undoing that or suppressing it or in some way mitigating it. Right. Yeah, you, you enter the haunted house and it is really haunted. It really has a connection to the the far realm or the um not what's the uh, not Shadowfell. The, Shadowfell, thank you. Has it's connected to the Shadowfell. And because of that, these strange things are happening. And while you're in there, blank, uh necrotic spells, spells that deal necrotic damage, the damage is doubled. Uh turn undead, you uh, does not work. Right, these things. And then you have to find a way to shut that down. That's what I want to see in this chapter, as, as yeah. I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting piece. And, and the chapter goes on and, and covers uh, magical phenomena, mm -hmm. eldritch storms, emotional echoes, enchanted springs, magic mushrooms, mimic colonies, primal fruit, unearthly roads. 
And it's sort of similar in, in the situation in that it's a little more applicable. You know, the idea of this flay wind that's going to come through or a flame storm and a chronic tempest. But it's also sort of it, it's non-tiered like a, in fourth edition, we would get things that were at tier one. It, the yeah. storm does this at tier two of play. It does this. This is just written up in a particular way. Like this is the world works and a chronic tempest is 3d6 necrotic damage mm-hmm. uh, at the end of each minute, you know, and so. There's a lot of this that's situational and I think hard to implement because of the design of it. And so for DMs to make this useful, you really need to break down, take the theme that you like that's presented here, suit it to the tier that you're playing and the scenario. Because if they're out in the open and they can't really find shelter easily, then 3d6 necrotic damage at the end of each minute is death. (laughs) Right. Yeah. At at many levels. (laughs) But if you are, yeah, true. And if you are uh, right next to a cave, then it's inconsequential and thematic. So right. think through how you want to make that work mm-hmm. uh, appropriately. And a lot of these things don't s- actually sort of super translate to being in an encounter, uh, which is a little bit of a shame. So that's what I was hoping when I saw this. I thought, oh, this would be right. cool stuff I throw into encounters. But it isn't necessarily. But you could change it to fit that mm-hmm. little work. Right. Right. Uh, any other uh, major thoughts on this this chapter, which, again, I think is great if you, as the DM, pick and choose what you want to use out of it and use it in a very deliberate way, and and th- then you're set. But other than as a repository of some really neat ideas, uh, it's not really presented in a way that you would find it useful, especially for new DMs. Yeah, I mean, one thing that's not bad is the natural hazards at the end. It does have the same rules from Rhyme of the Frost Maze and for avalanches, which I find not super awesome. See our previous episode on that. The math <laughs> is strange. We break it down for you. But it does cover things falling into water, falling onto a creature. And and both of those are, are worth looking at because those are sort of strange situations that you may not have thought of and can be kind of fun to bring in. Uh, falling into a creature is kind of fun because it takes into account the size. Right. But then one thing that I think is very useful is spell equivalents of natural hazards is a neat idea that you can often represent in your game mm-hmm. things through what spells already provide. So if there's a fog around. Well, look at fog cloud. Mm-hmm. There's falling debris. Well, look at how Conjure Valley or Conjure Barrage work. Uh, there's St. Elmo's file where that can work like fairy fire. Mm-hmm. There's toxic gas in the area. Look at stinking cloud spell. And yep. that is really useful advice, right? That you can look at these spells. They will often have the core design that you need. And, and this is not a surprise to that when designers, when we're creating things for an encounter, we will often do that. We'll look at the, what does a stinking cloud do? Mm-hmm. And you can borrow that language and that's how the trap works, right? But, right. Yeah. Or that's how the, this bog. That yeah. The, the bog gives the song. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And that is a useful piece of uh, advice, I think. Yep. But yeah, in general, this is a sort of weird, inspirational, chapter mm-hmm. rather than really instructional and i wish it were a bit more instructional if it were if it were a kit for how to make your own zones mm-hmm. i would have liked that i think a little better absolutely well i mean we're going from the the semi-controversial to the very controversial when next week we talk about puzzles which is its yeah. own topic with lots and lots to talk about well i love that one so i'm looking forward to talking about it absolutely so with that i will thank everyone for listening and thank our patrons for supporting us. If you, a listener, would like to become a patron, you can go to patreon.com slash MMP 
and we appreciate the new uh, patrons who we've had come on board recently. And if you're a listener, you can also help us out by just sharing the link to our show on social media or letting uh, people know, letting us know, you know, what you appreciate about the show, what else we could talk about that you'd appreciate. So you can do that for us and, and uh, we would uh, thank you. So Teos, where can people find your work on social media? You can find me at AlphaStream on the Twitter and my blog is alphastream.org. And you can find me on Twitter at Sean Merwin. You can go to the forums at forums.misdirectedmark.com to talk with us, or you can follow the podcast on Twitter at MasteringDND. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of encoded designs. So, Teos, now that we have talked about the sorcerer and talked about environments, what are we going to do? Well, I know we're going to kill some monsters, but I need to create an adventuring company for it, and I'm either going to be called Revelation in Flesh or Warping Implosion. <laughs> Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm going to sit here and think about which one of these is best. Revealing implosion. <laughs> <laughs>